Welcome to a continuation of the HEC Talk series brought to you by the Charlotte AHEC Practice Support Team. For this round of talks, we will be sharing best practice tools and tips helpful to today's primary and specialty care providers through a series of podcasts. The Charlotte AHEC Practice Support Team has been providing support to independent practices since 2009. We currently coach practices in the Charlotte, North Carolina region on initiatives like patient-centered medical home, the quality payment program, and other incentive programs. Let's get into today's podcast. Hello, welcome to today's podcast. I'm Elizabeth Trotman with the newly formed Charlotte Resilience Project. Our mission is to promote a healthy, compassionate, resilient community. And our vision is that Charlotte will be a community that facilitates successful life outcomes through trauma-informed care and resources that build resilience in children and families. Today, I'm happy to have guest Dr. Stephanie Reed, pediatric hospitalist and assistant professor for UNC School of Medicine, Charlotte, and Dr. Martha Edwards, primary care pediatrician with Rock Hill Pediatrics. And we are so glad to have you ladies here today. Good morning. Good morning. Today we're talking about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, and Dr. Reed and Dr. Edwards are here to share how providers can respond to children with uh, significant adverse childhood experiences, as well as answer questions around should we be screening for ACEs, and give us a little insight into how providers can respond and provide support to children with a significant number of adverse childhood experiences. So we will get started. I do have to say we, uh, Stephanie and I are fresh off attending the 2018 ACES conference hosted by the Center for Youth and Wellness, um, Nadine Burke Harris's organization, and had a wonderful time there, didn't mm-hmm. we, Stephanie? Yes, it was fantastic. And so learned a lot, saw a lot, um, and we're really appreciative of knowing that it's the 20th anniversary of the ACES study. And so I I want to um, put out this first question to the two of you. Tell us about um, the ACES study and, and, and what it means for pediatric practices. So, you know, I think it's important that we start with probably what our ACEs. And then we can talk a little bit about that landmark study that kind of affects our practice and and we really think should be permeating our our communities. Um, So when we think about ACEs and when we're using that word, we mean adverse childhood experiences. And those are kind of an established set of um, domains that we, through the ACEs study, have identified um, as particularly important for ongoing lifelong health. And so if these things are experienced in childhood, we know that they can have lasting effects down the line. And so we as pediatric providers get to be on the front line, and we really get to think about those. And so it really falls into three categories. We talk about abuse, and that can be um, physical, emotional, social uh, factors into abuse, and neglect, um, physical neglect, emotional neglect, and then just household dysfunction. So that's things like substance abuse or mental health issues in the home, um, incarceration rate, tough subjects and hard things to talk about. But as we have learned through the years, and you mentioned it's the 20th anniversary of the ACEs study, um, we find that we are not alone in talking about these, but we are not alone in having experienced these. And I think the biggest thing that I took from this study was that it is ubiquitous. 
-hmm. So it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what your background is, Mm -hmm. what your education level is, you have experienced an adverse childhood experience. And that has affected your health and and wellness. Um, And I use the word wellness to talk about general well-being Mm -hmm. um, as you move through life. And so Dr. Edwards, I don't know if you Mm -hmm. want to touch on the the landmark study a little bit more um, because it was just so phenomenal. And we've been shouting it from the rooftops (laughs) uh, since the late 90s in pediatrics, but it's starting to spread. Yes, and I have to say I'm guilty of of not being as aware, not being aware of the ACE study until about 2011. And I still remember I was driving in a car working on integrating behavioral health into our practice with a with a social worker I've been working with on a grant that I work work on. And she started to tell me about the ACEs study. And I just about had to stop the car. I was like, well, this is it. This is yeah. everything. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. explains so much. Because again, it's that, that dose-response relationship between um, the number of ACEs that you have and the number and the amount of both physical and mental health issues that you carry with you for a lifetime of disease. And so really, you know, looking at those things, that didn't really start until the 90s. Um, There's a guy out in California who had an obesity clinic. um, Vincent Folletti, Dr. Folletti. (laughs) Dr. Folletti. And he realized that as he was taking care of patients, a lot of them, when he would interview them further, um, had a lot of traumatic experiences, and especially sexual abuse. And so he thought, hmm, I'm going to kind of study this further. And he did a, a small study. And when he started to present that to his colleagues, they really kind of didn't even believe him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he partnered with someone from the CDC who had also been interested in this kind of relationship between early physical or mental health trauma and long-term mm-hmm. health problems. And his name was Dr. Anda. Mm, Robert um, Anda. Yeah. Robert Anda with the CDC. And they made a very large study, sent out 17,000 questionnaires to insured sort of a higher socioeconomic group with they were insured through Kaiser Permanente out in California. And in that questionnaire, again, they found this amazing relationship that it was almost a direct relationship between the higher number of things that you had experienced, you know, difficult things in your early life, um, the more likely you were to have significant, serious mental or physical health um, issues as time went on, things like 12 times the suicide rate mm-hmm. as, as people mm-hmm. with no adverse childhood experiences or, you know, almost uh, one study I saw is something like almost 100% of people that had four to five ACEs had been on an antidepressant at some point mm-hmm. in their lives. Mm-hmm. So things like that, but also things like hepatitis, um, cancers, mm-hmm. heart disease, mm-hmm. diabetes, yeah. All those things. And it yes. wasn't when they, they corrected, they controlled for, you know, smoking, drinking. Because mm-hmm. we think, okay, these people had hard lives. They're doing, you know, they're doing more drugs. They're drinking more. They're, and sometimes that is the case. But a lot of times um, that they actually weren't doing those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really fascinating about what's happening now is that we had this study and we all kind of said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially pediatricians and just livers of life. We have all had our own ACEs score. Um, mm-hmm. And we said, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But now as the as time has gone on and, and more and more studies into this subject have happened, we, we have actual science 
to support it. And when we talk about the science of stress and, and toxic stress in particular, that's where it gets really fascinating. And it gives me the power to go to my colleagues and say, look, this is the real deal. And so, um, if it's okay, I'll take a minute and go through the science. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the nerd brain yeah, in me talk is about obsessed with it. Yeah. impacts <laughs> the, the development of the brain. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. So we know that as our brain is forming and we're developing, we're making those connections with our neurons really early in life and really from, from zero, so birth, to about age two, um, and then some more between age two and five is where the majority of our brain connections are being made. And what we have found, not we, me, but the larger scientific community has found that when our stress level goes up, and some stress is okay, it teaches us how to live life, how to run away from harm, um, our cortisol level goes up as well in our body and circulates, turns on all kinds of hormones and tells our body to turn on our fight or flight. And that is a normal, healthy response. But in a kiddo who is faced with an adverse experience, so their home is not safe, their environment is not safe, every day that response is turned on. Every day, all day. They're fight or flight. Fight and or talk flight. about fight or flight, like what that really means and looks like when you're fighting and experiencing that. Like what does that? Absolutely. So, you know, when that is t- that cortisol level goes up, it tells our heart rate, to beat faster, to get ready to pump blood to our muscles so we can run away or we can hide. It tells our brain to turn off all that fun stuff that we're doing, like pretend and and play and um, daydreaming and turn on the real stuff, pay attention, Um, you know, get ready to protect yourself. Um, And when that's turned on for a long period of time, we know that that causes the connections in our brain to permanently turn on in that area and maybe Mm -hmm. not develop quite as much Mm -hmm. in those other areas of play, pretend, logic, coping skills. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. the big one, right? So if Mm -hmm. in our formative years that doesn't get turned on, Mm -hmm. you can only imagine down the road life doesn't get easier, right? So Mm -hmm. how are we going to be able to deal with those things where we need those higher coping skills? And and so it becomes our job to not only identify when those kids are going through things, but to put them in the pathway to help reverse that track Mm -hmm. and really teach them how to bring those levels down. The other thing that happens, um, we know, is that when cortisol is really high in our body for long periods of time, it causes things like atherosclerosis or the buildup of plaque Mm. over time. And we know that's Mm. a risk factor for heart disease and heart attack. Mm -hmm. It causes irregular formation. And and that's what we think is happening with the connection to cancer. That's not quite as clear to us yet, but I think more Mm. is coming in Mm -hmm. that arena. Mm -hmm. Um, And I certainly think that this is a strong component of what happens with our increased risk for suicide, mental health issues, substance abuse issues. Um, and I, when I go speak to colleagues who are not in pediatrics, I say, what if I told you you could reduce your risk of cancer or your patient's risk of cancer or heart mm-hmm. disease by half without any medication at mm. all? Would you do it, right? Wow. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah. It's hard yeah. to argue you with get, that. You get positive responses to that. So the ACEs study, um, you know, thank you for that great synopsis of the impact to the development, the developing child's brain. One of the things that I was struck by is, you know, that mention of it's really covers and touches everyone. The questions are things like, you know, were your parents ever divorced? Did you um, ever have a moment where you 
felt unloved or neglected as a child. And then, as you mentioned, all the areas of abuse and neglect. And so those questions, you know, often people have at least two, if not more. And then I know uh, you all mentioned how when you have four or more, Dr. Edwards, you were talking about how, you know, you're more likely to have poor health outcomes, poor mental health outcomes, as well as um, uh, general health outcomes. And so talk about, you know, what you are seeing, if you could tell us what you're seeing when you, because I, I believe you're doing ACEs screenings. Um, what are the kinds of responses you're getting? And what does that look like in action? How have you been able to incorporate that into um, your practice and, um, you know, looking to change outcomes? So I have started doing ACEs screenings in in the last um, probably six to eight months in my practice, which is a primary care practice, very busy practice. And I tend to see a lot of mental health issues. And actually, it's one of those things that once you start looking, the more you look, Mm. you see it, you start to see it everywhere. Mm. And so Initially, I was hesitant um, when we started to do more and more behavioral health screening in our practice. Um, you actually find things. <laughs> and then when you find something, you can't ignore it and you need to deal with it. And a lot of my partners, and, and even I found myself, you know, we, we were so hesitant. Even we had the screens and we were doing them and you thought, oh, I don't, I don't you want to look at this. But then, you know, because that question is, what do you do if it's positive? Mm-hmm. And my answer to that was, but yeah, what if you don't screen? What if you have that 12-year-old mm-hmm. who's suicidal and you didn't ask those questions? And what if you have that that mother of a newborn who is so depressed that she's hearing voices telling her she's going to kill her child and you, and you never ask that question? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like those screens have been so you know, impactful to our practice have really changed the way I practice medicine. And I was very interested once I did find out about the ACEs screen, I was like, I want to, I want to screen, I'm going to screen. And my friend who actually told me about the study said, if you want to see a patient, a parent totally lose it, because I thought I want to screen the parents. She she said, then then go ahead. (laughs) Um, You know, totally unwind. And, And so I thought, oh, and so I didn't screen for a long time. And she's right, because those are difficult um, questions. And, but in, in learning more about this, Nadine Burke Harris has developed a nice screen from the Center for Youth Wellness out in California that is what, what's called a de-identified screen. So in other words, you can ask those questions, you get a number, but mm-hmm. you don't, they don't have to tell you what's positive. And so, and then there are also additional questions because there are other things other than those 10 original questions, bullying, poverty, mm. racism, that are also as chronic illness and major medical conditions um, that can be additional risk factors. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've now found a way to, and I've kind of started experimenting with a little bit, to ask those questions, but not necessarily derail my whole visit. I mean, so if it's zero, I just move on and I can focus on you know, car seat safety or, you know, talking about developmental issues, um, parenting things. But if it's positive, then I do want to address that with the parent and talk about a little bit and talk about, you know, how how important it is to maybe have coaching for that family Mm. um, to get a parent educator to, I mean, when my kids were little, I always wanted like a little person standing on my, when 
my shoulder saying, oh, don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. this is how you handle this situation. Yeah. Because I didn't know. Yeah. And I'm a pediatrician, so I, I can imagine how most of my parents feel. So, But I, you took to it right away. It seems like you were, in terms of wanting to do it, maybe it took a little while to then actually uh, take the next step. What was that kind of, you know, those first time screening parents like? What? So I did worry. I thought when I asked these questions, what kind of response am I going to get? And um, I would say when they're negative, people aren't very worried about it. They, you know, we, there's not much discussion. When they're positive, those are the ones I worried about. I would say the major mm-hmm. response has been gratitude. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking. Um, then we can talk about the science behind this, why it affects brain chemistry and the ability for someone to maybe inhibit their emotional responses, because we're always talking about stimulating people and motivating mm-hmm. people. Inhibition is so important mm-hmm. for our children and for ourselves. Um, so we can talk about some of those things. And instead of just prescribing a medicine or you know, or just mm-hmm. just dealing with that headache, you know, without talking about the patient's whole life, yeah. I can actually talk about how this is integrates into the, the rest of their health. So to me, it's been extremely helpful in taking care of patients and getting them to understand why looking at their behavioral health is very important. Maybe investing in a counselor, investing that time, investing the money, which before was a really hard conversation when you're trying to get someone to go to a counselor and that, to me, they're such great coaches sometimes and can really help a patient's entire health. Yes. So. Has, and that, that is, um, gosh, so powerful to hear it in action and to hear that you don't necessarily have to be afraid of it, right? It's, it's probably easier than uh, really we think. One of the things I'd like to just get your thoughts on um, as well uh, Stephanie, Dr. Reed, I've been going back and forth. (laughs) Martha Edwards, Dr. Edwards, Stephanie, Dr. Reed. Um, But the use of the tool as a preventative measure as well, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, just to echo what what Martha was saying, I think I too have found that it's been overwhelmingly gratitude that I experience when I'm asking these questions. And, and I think it's because we change the conversation from what's wrong with you to what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that a patient who has been in a, or a family in a toxic stress scenario, who is experiencing ACEs is waiting for someone to say, it's not your fault. Let's figure out how to turn the ship around. Mm-hmm. And that is a very powerful conversation in itself. And, and then I think beyond that, it's all of a sudden my trust relationship with that family um, has mm-hmm. increased, right? Mm-hmm. I'm asking them how I can help them in a different kind of way. And I think that's step number one. And I agree. I um, have had conversations with different folks who are who are asking us about the screener. And I should say my path to screening is slightly different because I'm an acute care physician. So I tend to see kids when they're sick and they're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And often, um, and more and more often uh, through the years, it is because of these identifiable things that they end up seeing me in the hospital. Not always, but very often there are things that we could have helped them out with before they ever met me in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I I get 
conversations with people that that are concerned about asking the questions because they're sensitive, they're concerned about time constraints in their clinic, they're concerned because their community doesn't have the resources or quality resources or, or their perception of their community's resources is that they're not there. And so there's a fear that if I'm asking all these questions, is it ethical to find out information if I don't have anything to do with that information? Mm. And um, what I think is really powerful is that we have, we have found through the ACES community that just asking the question is intervention number one. Mm. Just having that conversation and raising that family's awareness of what it is has been shown to add resilience to that patient and that family. And then beyond that, you know, when we think about uh, smoking screening or we think about mm. some mm-hmm. of these other things that we routinely ask, you know, what's your diet like? What's your, um, are you taking your medications? All of those mm-hmm. questions we may or may not have an- had answers for in the beginning, but but we know that they're the right questions to ask and that it becomes a call to action for our community. If I'm identifying that every other patient I see every day has four or more ACEs, yeah. then that's a, a call to action for my community. And I can take up that mantle and say, you know what, we need to do something about this. This is a public health crisis, right? Yes. I, I think about our amazing pediatric colleagues in Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, who identified mm-hmm. the high levels of lead in the water. Mm-hmm. It took them saying, hey, we've got a problem. I'm screening and getting a lot of positive lead in these kids. You've got to do something, right? So it wasn't that the response was already developed. It was they identified this public health crisis and pushed the issue forward. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where we are with ACEs. I don't know if you feel similar. I feel exactly the same way. I feel like it is. It's a public health issue. And we scream for other public health issues. And this affects, I mean, there are studies that it affects people's success in going to work and getting jobs Mm -hmm. and income. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, just in res- so many other areas of their lives that we can save our country really trillions of dollars in health care costs is, is what the estimates are if we really can help intervene even just a little bit. You know, this yes. it seems so overwhelming, I think, sometimes um, to we, we look at this and we think, oh, my God, how, can, how can we impact this? Mm-hmm. But when we when we look at it, if we can do just a small amount, it can have a very big impact. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to give ourselves more credit. Mm-hmm. And in, along those prevention lines in, in primary care, I feel like what we can do is really talk about developmentally appropriate parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking before about um, when when somebody comes in with a newborn Instead of just asking all the newborn questions, you know, was it a vaginal delivery or what were their app cars? I'm really asking, you know, are you holding this baby? Are you cuddling this baby? I'm looking at the mother's um, depression screen, and I'm encouraging them. I'm saying, you know, our studies now on brain development really show that that snuggling is so important. Mm. Don't let people tell you that you're, quote, spoiling the baby by holding her too much. It's okay. And then at that six-month check, saying, you know, starting to say, okay, now this baby is starting to move a little bit. This is where, you know, you may want to work on some sleep things and, um, you know, maybe lay down a, a few more limits. And then at nine months when they're starting to move and make decisions on their own, it's developmentally normal for a, a baby to look at you when you say get away from that light socket. They, they know no, right? And they look at you, but they go right back to doing it. 
And it's not that that's a bad child. That's a child that developmentally is not ready to make another decision. There's nothing else that they see that's very interesting to do. So you helping them. So I found myself more and more at every stage of development talking about parenting tools. And I think in, across pediatrics, that's what we really need to be doing is, is really helping people figure out how to parent their children and then taking advantage in our communities. of like We have Parent Smart in our community. Zero to five, they will send in someone to the home every month for free mm-hmm. through the school district. Not even high risk. I mean, it can be any socioeconomic level. And there are other areas around where I live that, but we're not taking advantage of that very much. Mm. Um, they have openings. So I feel like they shouldn't have openings. Well, and it's interesting as you do describe the parenting tools, they are tools to build resilience. Mm -hmm. And I I think about um, the story of a woman that shared at the ACES conference. Her name is Liz Huntley. And she really talked about the trauma that she had experienced, but how people around her teachers, um, you know, caring adults, made the difference in her life in terms of her really still being able to have some successful outcomes in spite of the challenges. You're speaking to parents, but I also think about, you know, our, your presence in the lives of the children who you're serving. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I can, I can hear we, it. Yeah. We sort of call that the buffer effect, and mm-hmm. that exists lifelong. Mm-hmm. So definitely for children, but also for our, our elderly community as well. But I absolutely believe that one day we're going to move the conversation from talking about adverse childhood experience and trauma-informed to resilience-informed, and what are the ways that we're building resilience in our community and our families. And and I just want to put a plug in that this is not just a pediatrician issue. We aren't the only ones that can or should be screening for ACEs. It should be um, our teachers, our mm-hmm. faith leaders, our justice uh champions, our police. It really is a community effort and a shared language. Adult providers, I think, Adult providers, Mm -hmm. Anyone that connects to children and families, Mm -hmm. anyone that's serving children and families, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and the great thing is, even though it can feel overwhelming to get this information about ACEs and thinking about, uh, you know, all the hats I have to wear to make things happen for, for our kids... We actually think that it's pretty simple what we can do to increase resiliency, and it really falls in a couple buckets. Um, One of those, Dr. Edwards so brilliantly stated, was positive parenting and parenting skills. But we also know that it is quality education, quality daycare, and things like pre-K for all kids in our community access to food and safe play areas. I mean, these are simple ideas that we're talking about that can have an impact forever and reach um, out and read. I just have to put yeah, a plug for reach out and read. Yes. Every visit, you know, just that snuggling and positive yes. interaction with a book. Absolutely. And those things can come from from anyone. You know, we would love it to come from the parents, but sometimes that's not happening. And it can come from any of those touch points, um, mentors, boys and girls club, mm-hmm. big brothers, big sisters, mm-hmm. those kind of programs Um, can be those buffers. And, you know, I I think, again, just remembering that it's not any one group that's Mm -hmm. experiencing ACEs. It is all of us. So these are community programs for all. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I, I think, and we talked at the conference about this as well, that 
we know that everyone experiences ACEs and many people across the spectrum have experienced four, five, and six ACEs. Mm. And, and that is important to know, but it's also important to know that the response to those ACEs is not always the same across groups. Um, mm. And so by championing community-based programs for all, we get mm-hmm. to kind of pick up some kids who are being left behind, um, not enrolled in programs, maybe a different socioeconomic status that wasn't mm-hmm. quite on the radar of, of our um, legislative policies and things like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. uh, I really want to say that this is a community effort and yes. it is doable. Yes, and sounds just like the work of the Charlotte Resilience Project. So thank you for that commercial. (laughs) And we're, you know, also excited that we have uh, the Mecklenburg Resilience Symposium coming up, which will have sessions really to provide information for all of those groups and also feature uh, Dr. Bruce Perry uh, of the Child Trauma Academy, whose research is foundational um, to this work as well. And Um, He talks a lot about the impact and the neuroscience um, that connects to uh, the impact of trauma on children's brains. So um, one of the other things that I know you all do is uh, do talks and host uh, screenings of the movie Resilience. And if you could just talk a little bit about um, the movie and your experience and sharing about screenings, because I feel like they're very eye-opening experiences um, for uh, participants, and I'd love to hear more about your experience leading those conversations. Um, I don't know if you've had a, a chance to go to the screen. They're very powerful. We, So I should say that I came to this work through something called the Carolinas Collaborative, which is mm-hmm. a partnership through the Academy of Pediatrics and the um, Community Pediatric Training Initiative that partners all of the pediatric teaching programs in North and South Carolina for for pediatric residents or physician trainees. And our whole goal was to create an education program for our trainees so that this isn't the first time they're hearing about it when they're in practice five or six years, but also to tackle toxic stress in our community. Mm. And so through that, my partners here in Charlotte and I began the ACEs awareness and resilience awareness, and then we um, got connected with you all uh, in talks of developing this symposium in November. And we go out into the community and we screen this documentary called Resilience. Um, and it was made several years ago in an effort to talk about what is this topic, what is the science, but also what's going on across the United States that's working. And it's very powerful when you watch mm-hmm. it. It is incredibly mm-hmm. moving. It's only uh, just under an hour long, so it's mm-hmm. easy. And then we allow the groups, um, and we've been everywhere from the police station to the schools to churches you name it, we'll go there. If you want to see this movie, you just let the folks at AHEC know and we'll yeah, figure it out. Or us. Um, and we have our participants get to know their own ACEs score. We kind of debrief about what that is. And then we also have them get to know their own resilience score and mm-hmm. think about having seen the video, what did that mean for their life? What is going on with them? And then how can they take that information back to their Um, respective groups and really start this conversation. So Mm -hmm. like all movements, it goes from awareness to action to uh, 
you know, success. And I think we're kind of in between that awareness and action point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the screenings can be a good tool for that. Um, and I know Dr. Edwards is doing some amazing stuff down in York County as well around ACEs and education. So I'll let her speak yeah. to that. Yeah. So we, and we have been showing the resilience movie some too. I also have a, just a talk I do sometimes at schools and things. And recently we formed the ACES Task Force, which is a, a really great mm-hmm. group of folks with members from the school district administrators who are very focused on this issue. The police chief is on it, uh, one of our family court judges, our solicitor, because a lot of these families are at higher risk and just kind of need need help with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a state senator because we know we have to start looking at policy. Um, incredible. I, just awesome. to take that. I know. I, I'm we a have, little... This is, uh, let me just put a plug. Sylvia Eccles is, is, is our, uh, somebody who's been Sylvia, such a champion for children in York County. But, yes, I mean, it's it's really it's been amazing to see this the awareness grow and, you know, the, a focus on mindfulness across it. Mm. There's a Palmetto Peace Project that was started about two years ago, and Ben Motley leads that. And uh, we try to focus on how, to, how do you bring mindfulness, how do you teach people about the importance of helping children calm down and take a breath and focus on relaxation maybe in the classroom. So that, that has just been a, a real bright spot, I think, in, in mm-hmm. looking at how to spread this information, but also give answers on, on what to do. I mean, things like the, when we looked at, when we mm-hmm. talked about family court, they said, you know, we could introduce triple P parenting. Yeah. They're sitting there sometimes waiting for us in court. We can, if we could get videos or some interventions there, a lot of parents really want strategies on how to help their kids. Mm-hmm. They love their kids. Yeah. And mm-hmm. So that's what has become clear to me is that people really do want to help and have the power to do so. Yeah, this is um, happening across the nation. There are communities really doing just what you said and, and looking for where are the ways that we can incorporate resilience building strategies into everyday activities. Um, if there's time at the laundromat, where are things that can be done? So with that in mind, thinking about our community and South Carolina and North Carolina, you know, looking at where there's opportunity to grow the conversation, where there's opportunity to infuse this more, what, what, what do you see as, uh, what's your desire, what's your hope, what's your goal, if you were to say, in 10 years, I'd love for this to be what we are saying as a result of the work that we've done to date. So that was a full <laughs> a one. Big, a that was a full yeah. one. Yeah. No, but it's, uh, I think it's great to, to end to dream. on hope. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I think, uh, my biggest dream is that one day we don't have to have this conversation mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, in a, a perfect scenario, uh, we wouldn't have adverse childhood experiences. Mm. But in the mm-hmm. interim, I I hope that we are able to show the importance of this issue to the degree that it just becomes a normal part of our day. And I was mentioning earlier, you know, we talk about the fifth, uh, quote unquote, the fifth vital sign being pain, right? But what it really should have been is ACEs. So when I mm. see my patients, it should be heart rate, blood pressure, ACE score. And mm. it should just be part of my conversation with every patient at every touch point. Um, and I think that's how we move the needle. Mm. 
It's a mind shift. It's mm-hmm. a paradigm mm-hmm. shift. Yeah. Yeah, I th- think the same thing. I, the the that screening would become universal, and that people would be comfortable with that, and and then have resources and know their resources and what to do with those positives, so that we're not scared of talking about mental health and how it affects our our families. We know this is an intergenerational thing. The more Mm -hmm. science we find out, that's something we haven't even really touched on, but it's there are epigenetics, there are genetic changes Mm -hmm. when you have sustained toxic stress in young children, and um, that gets passed along. And so we, it's, it is crucial that we help not only the children, but the adults um, and Mm. even the grandparents Mm. learn about how to get to calm and self-control and pass that on to their families. Thank you so much, ladies, again, for sharing your insight and uh, recommendations on really how uh, pediatricians can build resilience and conduct ACEs screenings. Are there any books or resources you would recommend for pediatricians and or providers? I'm a big fan of Nadine Burke Harris, and I know that Stephanie is too. So it's Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and she wrote a book recently called *The Deepest Well*. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, she does a great job reading it as an audiobook. So if you're driving around, it's easy to listen to and so informative. And I feel like it should be required reading or listening for all providers, really, pediatrician and otherwise, even adult providers. Um, there's a, a website called AcesToHigh.org. There's a, a movie, Paper Tigers, which is another one yeah. um, that yes. you can download and watch. Um, Stephanie, what are your... Yeah, I agree with all of those. They're on my top <laughs> list. Um, there's also, if you want to track the national movement around ACEs, there's an organization called ACEs Connections, and they have a website, and you can become a member or not. Um, but if you are a member, you get regular updates on the literature that's coming out, any legislation that is, is coming through, and then any... Uh, events near you, that kind of thing. Uh, the CDC offers some insight. If you're just getting started, it's probably a good place to start. It's got the early um, connection to the study. And then the Harvard Center for the Developing Mind is fantastic. They have short videos you can share with your office and things like that. They have access to some screeners. Um, I believe they have the de-identified screen, but I could be wrong. You may have to go to the Center for Youth Wellness for that as as an option if it's something you want to do in your office. The other thing I would say is reach out, if you're in this area, reach out to any of us. Um, We're happy to come and do trainings. We're happy to talk just offline about how you could get started with just asking the questions. Mm -hmm. There's also a website called Mm -hmm. AuntBertha.com, which if you are in the atrium system, you're becoming familiar with, but it is a national website. All you have to do on this website is put in the area code for your patient or family and choose the type of resources you're looking for, and they will pop up. So, and it gives you a map and it tells you how to fill out their forms for registering and all of those good things. And I use it every single day. Mm And then I want to echo the deepest well. And then, as you mentioned before, uh, we heard some great speakers at the conference. So I just started uh, More Than a Bird, and it's fantastic by Liz Huntley. Mm -hmm. And so especially those of us working in early childhood education and early childhood justice, it's particularly poignant um, book as well. Well, thank you again. I'd like to um, follow up with that we're hosting the Mecklenburg Resilience Symposium on Friday, November 16th. 
And both of these ladies will be featured at the symposium, sharing uh, their knowledge and insight and experience, as well as a keynote from Dr. Bruce Perry. And so if you would like to attend, please visit charlotteahec.org. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. And the next time we talk about this, hopefully it will um, we'll have the dreams that you've mm-hmm. mentioned for our community. Hopefully those will have come true. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks for tuning into today's podcast. For more podcasts in our series, visit the practice support section on the Charlotte AHEC website, www.charlotteahec.org.